This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform. I am here with Eat to Perform coach Christopher Dietz. Chris, if you want to say hi to everyone. Morning, everybody. So Chris had some work on his uh, tattoo. Basically sat for about two and a half hours yesterday. So are you sore? Does it hurt? Um, it's a little sore. It doesn't really hurt unless I like lean on it or push it against the table or something like that. So I like sit in like certain positions. Have you done much where like in the sensitive spots? I mean, how much does that hurt and how, for how long? Well, I did, um, all this oh, God. in here. Yeah. That hurt. <laughs> like that's a really raw area and in, in the pit of your, of your elbow. Yeah, that Chris, hurts a lot too. On, on the podcast, you know, you won't be able to see it, but Chris is showing kind of his underarm. Now, like in that bicep area where you have kind of what looks like a leaf almost, that had to yep. hurt. That had to hurt like crazy. Yep. Because <laughs> I, I one, I mean, one thing I remember from from being a teenager and torturing my brother was that if you um, pinched underneath your bicep, uh, or, you know, the area of your arm underneath your bicep, that there's a lot of nerve endings there, and getting yep. a tattoo where all those nerve endings are that that would hurt like hell i think it um, does <laughs> so for those that don't know what we're you know we'll we'll this is sort of a q and a part with um gyms and also our lifetime members and so we already have a question from kent we're going to kind of get into that a little bit more but we have gyms all over the country talking to us about, you know, their clients and, and their concerns. The, the focus of this tends to be a little bit more training, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about fat loss as well. Um, you know, as it relates to how you look at fat loss and kind of designing that and, and melding it with your program design. So one of the things, you know, I was, I was talking to Chris about yesterday was uh my dad and my dad's a really really colorful guy and he he used to work for uh ups he was a manager for ups and you know there's a bunch of stories from that in and of itself um and and my dad and i are pretty similar in in the way that we, if if we get together it it tends to be um pretty pretty upbeat you know especially in a, in a in a place like las vegas or new orleans you know i'm originally from new orleans if people don't know that um but my dad when he retired from ups he started taking jobs and and those stories are, are really funny he's actually a uber driver right now in new orleans so he's done like all these different things just to try and stay occupied and uh you know, one of the jobs that he took, he was uh, working for the local sheriff's department, and he would uh, take prisoners that were at the county jail to, you know, AA meetings or whatever, like their requirements were for whatever, you know, sentence that they had. And... You know, inevitably, they, you know, he's always having conversations with these people, and those conversations were always kind of fun to hear. But what was interesting at that point was he would 
tell them about what my jobs were. And this was pre-Eat to Perform. A lot of it, I was playing poker, um, kind of hobby, but semi-professionally. And it definitely um, was a piece of my income. I was also doing some business consulting. So it was sort of hard to kind of pin down, uh, you know, what I did for a living. And so, you know, this was his version of, you know, how he would explain it to the prisoners. So he was talking to the prisoners and they're like, hey, so so what is your son? You talk about your son a lot. You know, what does he do? What does he do for a living? And my dad's like, honestly, we'd be here for hours. Me explaining that to you. Um, probably the best way to explain it, right? is if my son was in prison with you guys, he'd be running shit. <laughs> and um, I thought I thought that, you know, I don't know that everyone would take it as a compliment the way that I did, but uh, that's actually not the only time. I actually had a gang member that I was working with at a drug treatment center at one point, and he was like, man, you would make a real OG, you know? He's like, you know, you, you just have like this way of, of kind of tackling problems. And I would say that, you know, you know, I've matured into, you know, more refined roles over over life. But, you know, it had me thinking, you know, we talked a little bit about the Conor McGregor fight last week. And mm -hmm. the the Nate Diaz guy, you know, um, you know, who may be infinitely forgettable over time but what and and sort of this relates to the story that i just told that the guy was sitting there bloodied he's you know getting the shit kicked out of him for two rounds and i mean his face if you didn't see the fight was full of blood you know and if you've never been in a fight he's got blood you know, going into his nasal passages. I mean, everything is going against this dude. But he's just looking for that one shot and one opportunity. And when he got it, he took it. And I think that that is a good um, metaphor for what business is like and what training is like. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because, you know, the... Uh, I think people sort of want to train and start here and end up here and all along the way see very incremental progress. And that's really not how it works. How it really works is you're getting punched in the fucking face nonstop, you know? And in getting punched in the face, there are going to be hurdles that you have to overcome. And, you know, frankly, I mean, some of these folks get knocked out, you know, and how you recover from that. You know, when you think about Rocky, as an example, why Rocky won was, you know, Oscar nominated and, and all this other stuff. I mean, Rocky lost, you know, but it was the story of, you know, working through all that difficulty and stuff like that. And 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 Rocky One was the most memorable of all of them. I mean, of course, Rocky Two goes on to win. And that that sort of helps the storyline. But I think that the fact that this guy worked 
really hard to get his opportunity and in that opportunity he actually came up short I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to and so that's going to be a little bit of the di discussion that we're having but you know in the discussion that my dad's having with the prisoners you know he's sort of telling them kind of the the end result and he's not telling them the homework the 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 amount of of work that goes into having that level of preparation is and 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 I think that Nate Diaz you know if you didn't see it and if you didn't see pictures I mean you could google pictures of him I mean his face was was bloodied until he got that one shot and and that was the thing that really made the difference and I think a lot of people get to the point where they get bloodied and they just quit, you know, and they quit on themselves. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's smart to quit if you're doing the, the wrong thing for yourself. You know, you have to kind of analyze whether or not, you know, we see that a lot where people are kind of doing, you know, extreme dieting or in a case of training, as an example, if you're doing something that's constantly hurting you, you know, I mean, I had to tweak my, my CrossFit process all along the way to where, you know, I could get to a point where my training was effective and, you know, wasn't constantly working out at 60%. Um, anything about that that kind of resonates with you, Chris? Yeah, it's, I mean, my journey certainly has not been linear as far as training goes. It's ups and downs and you know, peaks and valleys and all that kind of stuff, but you're constantly facing different struggles and different challenges, um, whether that's your family or whether it's, you know, finding the right times to work out or you get busy in some certain areas or you get hurt or, you know, there's always going to be some kind of challenge you're going to have to deal with and you're not going to see those um, constant progressive incremental gains. Like sometimes you might regress a little bit. I know I, I am, almost fell out of a tree a couple winters back. Um, and I, I was cutting branches off because they were breaking and falling on my cars. Um, and one of them came down and I tried to catch it. And when I tried to catch it, it tweaked both my shoulders, kind of like pulled them funny. So I couldn't bench um, for about two months before I could get back into my benching. And so like my bench had regressed in that time. So just to illustrate that point, it, it took me a while to get back you know, I, I saw that dip and then I had to work my way back up and back to where I was before I could continue to progress. So, yeah, and that, run into in that way, I think I think really the the struggles sort of define your overall journey. I, I think that like a lot of people look at, you know, training goals and stuff like this. I mean, people will look at you and I would say the persona that people have is that Chris does work and every single day he does work and he gradually gets better. And knowing you a little bit and knowing how progress works, you know, I couldn't, I, you know, sticking to the plan is important, but at the same time, I know that that's not true, right? There's always going to be, you know, kind of things that, that come up that become a bigger priority and you have to kind of handle those priorities before you get back to that, that linear approach. Would you say mm -hmm. that's fair? Yep. So what I wanted to talk a, a little bit, I, I'm going to cover it. I'm not going to go super in depth with it, but, but it's always interesting. I think for a lot of people, 
Um, you know, if you're not familiar, um, Friday night is date night for me. And uh, I am currently doing performance-focused fat loss, which, you know, if you're not familiar with Eat Perform, is basically our approach to a deficit. And one of the things that we'll often hear people talk about is how they manage what we call our Wave Plus Day, which is, you know, the day that you're going to kind of upregulate your metabolism. It's usually a day that you're going to have a little bit more volume and stuff like that. Now, I am sick, so kind of keep that in mind as we talk about this. But last week, as an example, after my weight plus day, after, you know, um, you know what was 16.3 at that point for the CrossFit Open, my weight went back up to 186. And throughout the week, um, you know, it, it took me a, a good bit, and I think... It actually took me to Thursday to get down to um, 182 even. And so, uh, you know, and, and water fluctuations, person to person, stuff like that, that can be very different. So I am sick right now, like I mentioned. I, I you know, tried to fire it up yesterday for 16.4 and then called it after about three minutes just because, um, you know, I... You don't know how sick you are, and then also, you know, throughout the week, obviously I've been kind of eating at a deficit to to try and, and reach my fat loss goals, and so, uh, you know, the combined of those two things was kind of a net negative. Still did date night afterwards, um, weighed myself this morning, and my weight was 183.4, so... Um, when you look at the difference between last week and this week, you go, well, you know, what'd you do differently? I mean, that's almost three pounds. Well, you know, I realized that, you know, my weight plus day was probably a little bit more than I really wanted to because what you don't want to do with a wave plus day, and, and a little bit of it is is volume. My volume hasn't been high, so my, you know, my nutrients aren't going to be loading in my muscles, so therefore, you know, I'm going to end up, you know, um, expelling it. <laughs> That's probably a nice way to say it, um, rather than actually using that energy. And then, of course, there's always going to be a draw when you're sick. But uh, what you don't want to do is, you know, the the higher your weight is the day after, you know, and at least for men and women can be a little bit different. And there's a lot of women that actually on a, on a weight plus day, um, they actually see their lowest weight the next morning. So men and women differ from that perspective. But what the overriding point is, is that at 186, I had to spend the good majority of the week, you know, getting fairly aggressive to get to that 182 number. At 183.4, my goal this week, of course, is gonna be 181. So how hard do you think is it gonna to be to get to 181 when I'm only 2.4 pounds different compared to four pounds before, right? Um, so kind of keep that in mind as we're looking at wave plus strategies because, you know, um, last week, as an example, 
I went out for breakfast, you know, you see the pictures, cinnamon rolls and stuff like that. You know, I had to rein that in. And as you get deeper into the funnel, I'm, you know, Monday will be my third week of eight, you know, and, you know, just trying to find that groove where you can see a result is really super important. And I think what happens with people is they want to get like a specific number and then they want to see this linear result similar to what we were talking with Chris. And at some point there has to be some level of intervention as it relates to, you know, what you want to do. Like a wave plus day is one of these days where you're going to be eating more of the foods that you like, you know? Well, if you overdo it, then you're going to be digging a bigger hole. And so, you know, when you look at the wave method, basically that's a guideline and you want to take that guideline and adjust from there. And I think that that's something that people need to know. Anything, uh, anything that you can contribute to that part, Chris, before we move on to like the training stuff? I just, I like that you mentioned that it's a guideline because there's going to, when you have the guideline like that, it's pretty broad and everyone's going to fit into it in different ways. And, and that's where the tweaking and the, the, the me search, as you like to say, comes into play. And that, that's going to be a little different for each person. So you got to kind of find what your groove is. Yeah, that's why I think, you know, and I know that everybody has kind of a different relationship with the scale. But when you look at the way that I'm interpreting data, right? If you don't have data to interpret, you know, how are you going to get specific? How are you going to see, you know, and maybe the data isn't scaled for you. Maybe it's, you know, the way genes fit or maybe, you know, it's measurements or something like that. But but in general, you have to have something to sort of establish that baseline. And yep. so the theme that I'm going to talk today is a little bit about how you deal with, you know, training while having these hurdles and, and specifically, you know, while sick, because I think that that's going to be fairly important. Like Chris said, when, you know, he, you know, kind of wasn't able to bench, what are some of the adjustments that you make in that scenario? I can tell you this week, you know, I have a new rower, which I've been pretty excited about, you know, getting on and, and using. And every single time I get on it, I just don't feel, you know, up for it, you know, and, you know, I, I think if you're listening to this and, you know, maybe movement isn't a priority in your life, you don't really necessarily know what it's like to enjoy moving, right, or enjoy, you know, certain exercise. I mean, I don't love rowing, but... But in general, I don't hate it to a point where, you know, I want to get off after three minutes like I do now. And so that to me says, you know, I'm still sick. You know, I'm still not 100%. So the big thing, you know, the big thing that I do, you know, and we'll obviously get into what Chris does because obviously he's going to be talking about, you know, more weightlifting type stuff. Now I do, I do also lift weights, but you know, my, my emphasis tends to be more on deadlifting and then kind of uh, more GPP stuff, general physical preparedness, 
you know, not necessarily super CrossFit, but definitely want to stay somewhat proficient at that. Um, so this week, you know, what I've been able to do, you know, is, you know, I'll take my dog for a little bit longer walk, you know, just so I can get in a little bit more low intensity work. Um, I've done, you know, various things. Uh, you know, normally I would do seven to 10 reps on, you know, something like chin-ups. Now I'm doing like three, you know, and what's interesting about, you know, this week I did chin-ups, I did pull-ups. Um, air squats were probably the ones that kicked my ass the most. Um, I don't know if you guys feel it, but I definitely feel it when I'm sick. And I try to use my legs. This is sort of what happened at 16.4 and why I had to call it quits. I mean, deadlift, you know, my one rep max, 474. My my multiple right now, I'm off of I'm working off of 520. So deadlifting 225, even for high reps, isn't something that I should be struggling with. And right around rep 30, I just noticed I just didn't have any legs, you know. And so that's ultimately why I ended up uh, calling it it quits. And and I may try to, to go Sunday, you know, or I may just go with this number, you know. I mean, this, this, this CrossFit Open, you know, isn't something that I work towards. Normally, I would not suggest to people um, to, you know, to do this going into a competition. The only competition that I probably train for other than my deadlift where I'm trying to, you know, constantly get a little bit better is really the Granite Games. And so I'll probably up my volume going into June for, you know, what ultimately will be September for the Granite Games. Um, any thoughts on, on how you, like, for instance, in your case, Chris, you know, squat, bench press, deadlift, you know, how do you deal with that when you're, you're sick or you're running through some hurdles? If I'm sick, <clears throat> if I'm not feeling it, I just don't do it. <laughs> that's just that's just fact. Like if I'm not feeling it and I think it's going to be detrimental, then I'm just not going to do it. Like, um, but but if it's you know having like a little head cold may not affect my performance as far as you know my training. I should still be able to hit my numbers. Got a head cold, but but if it's deeper than that, like usually if it's like something in my lungs. I'm just not going to bother because it's not going to end up being beneficial. That's actually a great guideline. In fact, that's something that we used to talk about a lot that, you know, we haven't talked about near as much. Anything below the head, you know, typically you want to be a little bit more reserved with it, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, and, and it's, it's sort of funny because the messages that you tell yourself even when you've been training for a long time, even though you've had a lot of progress and you've been able to do good things, you know, you just don't, you, it, it's sort of like what I was saying with the, 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 um, performance focused fat loss. If you dig too deep of a hole, you know, that coming out of that hole is more difficult. And so you sort of struggle with being sick from that perspective, you know? Because you feel like you're digging a hole and it's going to take you a couple weeks to get back. But the reality is you'd be much better off prioritizing that sickness. And, you know, one of the things that I may look at, especially since my, um, 
since my uh, you know numbers are are doing pretty good, is I may look at doing something like fa you know just to try and you know I always, <laughs> I, always, I always feel I always feel like fa is in you know fa is basically like a Vietnamese bone broth soup. It's it's spelled P H O if you go to any Vietnamese um, restaurant and they they have it and you'll walk in there and then there's like 16 Vietnamese people like sipping and the slurping is really loud it's one of the most popular dishes in any Vietnamese restaurant but it's really you know kind of the the combination of sodium rice noodles and then you know certainly protein that ends up being helpful and you know being hopefully on the tail end of this you know it might be a good solution. Now I'm thinking of it. Maybe I'll go have that that for lunch today. <laughs> um, I will tell you guys this. Ask the Vietnamese restaurant owner to hook up your pho, right? Because, and, and you're going to be tempted to call it pho. It's not pho. It's pho. Just ask Vietnamese people and they will tell you um, it's pho. But if you, you know, the way that it gets sort of Americanized is probably the way that you'll like it the most. And that's when they hook it up with some level of hoisin sauce, which is kind of a sweeter uh, soy sauce. And then sriracha. And so you go, well, man, that sounds like a lot of sodium. I don't typically like to have that much sodium in my diet. It is a lot of sodium. But sodium, <laughs> sodium is favorable when you're not feeling good. You know, uh, one of the most misunderstood things about sodium is how it affects how nutrients are transferred from your small intestine into the rest of your body. And so when you look at the transfer of carbohydrates, you know, into your, your muscles and into your organs and, and the rest of your body and your system... You know, a lot of that happens through the electrical bond that is made between sodium and potassium. And you'll see potassium in things like rice and potatoes and stuff like this. Of course, those things have calories. So if you're avoiding those things, you know, you might want to reconsider that a little bit because that's that's going to contribute to lean mass overall. So as an example, if I have pho today, you know, I would certainly expect the scale to be up but hopefully not you know too extreme but if the if the scale is up what that means is is that the sodium kind of helped that transfer into rehydrating my muscles when you think about being sick you know you're really talking about you know in a lot of cases being dehydrated so you know it is like matzo ball soup or is chicken noodle soup, is it magical? You know, well, it's magical because it has a lot of sodium in it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and that, you know, if you're constantly avoiding sodium when you're sick, is probably the best time to kind of rethink that. And then also, you know, a lot of times people will go, man, you know, I really crave carbohydrates. Yeah, you know, I mean, a little bit, I mean, I think, when I stepped on the scale today, I was really sort of hoping for 185, you know, um, because, you know, I think kind of like, 
I do sort of think that that four pound weight difference is close to about right. Um, and so, you know, being actually closer to two, that's probably the, the thing telling me that maybe the sickness is drawing on me a little bit too much and um, that I don't necessarily want to be that extreme. The problem is, is that, of course, you know, when you're sick, you don't have a lot of volume going on. Um, your metabolism does kick up a little bit, obviously, to try and help you heal. Um, any, any, any thoughts on, on that and, and, and just hydrating muscles? Like when you look at something like creatine and, you know, hopefully Brad's going to be doing something on creatine real soon here. But what creatine is trying to do is take the, the water that's outside of your cell and push it into your cell so you have more available energy, you know, basically through ATP. And that's something that people go, well, you know, every time I take creatine, it bloats me. And women say that a lot, you know. And it's really that, that bloating that you're supposed to sort of be using to create extra volume that ultimately adds to work capacity over time. Um, I mean, is there ever a time that you don't use creatine, Chris? Very rarely. Um, I use it most of the, most of the year. <clears throat> Sometimes I, I'll drop it for a little bit. Um, but, but, but when I'm doing PFFL type cut phase, then I absolutely hold on to it um, and make sure I use it. Um, it, it can, I don't want to say it will, but it, it can keep the scale up a little bit because of that water retention. But, um, to me, it's more important that I'm trying to get as much work as I can get in to hold on to my lean mass. Um, especially during a cut phase when my calories and my carbs and my potassium and sodium, those things are all being, being reduced, holding onto that creatine during that time can help me hold on to the lean mass, which is the most important part of being in a cut to me. Yeah. I mean, like when, when, when people look at it and they're looking at a cut phase or, you know, like traditionally dieting, typically they want to diet as, as extreme as possible, lose as much weight as possible, as quickly as possible so they can be done with it and just be normal. Right. And that basically is what we're saying doesn't work. You know, and I mean, it should be fairly obvious that it doesn't work, but it doesn't seem to be obvious to most people because they keep resorting to those same extremes and sometimes even more extremes when the other extreme didn't work. But what Chris said there is so super important. Now, I will say this. While I have kept creatine in while I'm sick, you know, I do get concerned a little bit about muscle cramping and um, dehydration as it relates to creatine. If you think about what creatine does, you know, it's going to try and pull more water into your muscles. And so, you know, if you're not staying properly hydrated, you know, you will run into a few problems. And so it's something that, you know, you just need to be aware of as you kind of go through things. Most of the people that suffer with cramping as it relates to creatine is sort of a dosing issue, you know, and, um, you know, it's really like anything. I think, you know, when people talk about carbohydrates or, or talk about weightlifting or talk about whatever, you know, the idea is sort of start kind of slowly, you know, 
and then gradually sort of move up to where you want to be and like the gradual process where Chris is talking about or where I'm sort of explaining where you know I'm going down most of the week and then I have the one day that I go up so it it stimulates the 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 um, reaction that allows the down for the rest of the week right that's not the way that the good majority of people do it and so that that I think is kind of an important lesson. Um, I think when you look at most dieting behavior, it's similar to squatting 500 pounds. Basically, you know, rather than working up to squatting 500 pounds, they just put 500 pounds on the bar and then fail and then ultimately go back to kind of those bad habits rather than you know, kind of establishing these this list of priorities, you know, all throughout the way. You know, it's almost, you know, in a lot of ways, it's 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 sort of like having a, a filing cabinet. The more things that you have kind of filed away, the more you can kind of pull out any one of those files and kind of tweak that file and then, you know, kind of put it back and then tweak something else. The problem with most people is, you know, all the files are open and, you know, the documents are kind of overwhelming them. And so, you know, the more you can kind of, you know, you know, when you're sick, that becomes like your biggest priority. You got to you got to stop being sick. You know, if you try and work out sick at 40 percent, 50 percent, 60 percent, you'd be better off just calling it, cutting it short and, and making sure that that you end up healthier and, and just get done with that phase of things. Um, anything before we get to Kent's question? Just wanted to add to that what you just said at the end there is that missing that one session isn't going to really have that gonna have a big effect, if any at all, on my long term plans and goals. It's it's just one session. But you know, obviously that you don't want to be skipping workouts, you know, three times a week. But if you're sick, you're sick and getting over that becomes the biggest priority right but what i think most people would say to what you just said is i don't get sick for one day i get sick for a week or two weeks and how do you adjust to that and yep. I, th I think i think a little bit of the answer is do what you can right yep. um and and in some ways you know doing what you can you know one of the biggest things that, that you often see, you know, and it's kind of funny with CrossFit, is people will show up and they're not 100%. And, you know, you're at risk of kind of getting all your gym mates sick. And so, you know, being kind of on the tail end and showing up for 16.4 yesterday, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to get anybody sick. Um, and so, so I went ahead and, and, and tried that a little bit, but obviously it didn't go well. Um, and, and, and so in that way, it was kind of an indicator, but, you know, I have used various indicators. Like I said, you know, when I did air squats the other day, kind of saw my legs, you know, not feeling a hundred percent. So I knew, well, I'm still a little sick here, you know? And so you, you just try to kind of get in what you can and use it as a way to kind of have exercise. Don't, don't have super high expectations, for you know what you're going to be doing um and in some ways being sick also works you know kind of like a deload i think 
you know, there's a lot of people that, that are like, when they come out of being sick, they, they're actually able to lift more, do better, because their body's kind of fully recovered at that point, and it often surprises them how, once mm -hmm. they're back to 100%, how well they can exercise. And so I thought that was a... In, anything you want to add? No, that covers it. All right. So, <laughs> so Kent's saying he's seven weeks in. Um, and he still has a few weeks to reaching full macros. No major weight gain in training is great. Train most days in the afternoon. So if you're familiar with Eat Perform, it is, you know, obviously depending on your dieting behavior, if you were drastically under eating, you know, what we're trying to do is get you to a point where you have a good baseline, similar to what Kent is talking about, without a lot of, of weight gain. Now, certainly, if you know you were eating 800 calories and you're trying to move up to a higher number, you might expect a couple pounds. But in general, we want to walk you through it real slowly so you can get back to kind of normalizing things. And that's a little bit of the conversation we're having. I find that I often have have what seem to be a lot of carbs to eat in the evening. Is this okay? Um, I do not think it's okay, actually, but we'll talk about that. At, he's got a little bit more of the question. Some of these macros tend to be simple sugar, banana, or honey in order to get more carbs without ex excess fat. So here's my thought process. If, you know, I mean, first of all, if you're seeing a result and it doesn't make you uncomfortable and you want to do it that way, go right ahead. That's a little bit of the me search. And by the way, Chris attributed that to me. It's actually Mike Nelson's thing, not my thing. But there's basically research, you know, which is scientific data that we're trying to use. And then you want to take that scientific data and then apply it to yourself, which is me search, right? And in Kent's example, you know, if he's constantly finding himself in a position where he has to, uh, you know, go to extreme carbs to kind of get in his carbs numbers for the day, and those carbs are loading fine, that might be an okay way to do it. I think what happens when people, you know, talk about carb cycling or talking about putting the majority of your carbohydrates around your workouts, they do it in a way that's probably not consistent with the way that Chris and I do it, right? So my first meal, as an example today, will be uh, <coughs> oatmeal with protein in it. And, uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this, you go, well, wait a second, you know, in the, in the fat loss manual, it talks about putting the majority of your carbohydrates. Well, first of all, you know, a cup of oatmeal is only 30 grams of carbohydrates. So that's not an extreme. And I do tend to like to have, you know, carbohydrates in my first meal just from the standpoint of, you know, satiety, but also in terms of uh, kind of rehydrating those muscles, right? And so... Uh, one of the things that I've been kind of doing during PFFL, it, you know, normally I'll have some level of honey, similar to what Kent was talking about. But with my protein, I've actually started like, uh, you know, those uh, like Girl Scout cookies, the, the lemonade ones. 
Um, I'll crumble up a couple of those for a little flavor in there. It's like 150 calories and uh, it's kind of a way. But once again, another carbohydrate, right? So, so now we go from 30 grams of carbohydrates, you know, and my, my point ultimately being is, is you do want to have the majority of your carbohydrates around your workouts, but you don't want the rest of the time to be super low carb. And there's a, there's a few things about that. And, and a lot of us have tested this, you know, from, you know, you know, low carb backgrounds and, and all the different things that, that people talk about. Here's what anecdotally, I think most of us find. The more extreme you go to avoiding carbohydrates and then you reintroduce carbohydrates, the more of a negative effect that it will probably have on you as it relates to your workouts. So when you have some moderate carbohydrates, and then you have the majority of your carbohydrates around your workouts, that tends to be more favorable as it relates to working out at 100%. But if you, let's say that you eat 300 grams of carbohydrates and you have 150 pre and 150 post, but the rest of the time, your low carb, one, digestively might be difficult to get in that, that amount of carbohydrates but also outside of that time, you know, you might be digging too much of a hole. So then when you show up at the gym, you're not 100%. So also, um, as it relates to like, you know, the types of carbohydrates that you use, it can negatively affect your, your blood sugar. So from that standpoint, having some carbohydrates throughout the day makes sense. Now, I normally eat anywhere from two to four meals. I, I eat two meals with probably two snacks, right? Chris tends to have more consistent meals throughout the day. Talk to me a little bit about what your carbohydrate strategy would be and how it might differ from what I just said. Um, <clears throat> it would depend... First of all, on where my training is, um, lately I've been training early in the morning again um, versus later in the afternoon. So I do get more of my carbs in the morning um, for the starches, um, the bulk, I should say, and then it kind of tapers off throughout the day. And I still have some at night, um, but but not as much as I do in the morning. So it, it in terms of like a kind of like a bell curve, I got the peak in the morning and it slowly tapers down. So get, just just because I think this is going to be really helpful for people, talk to me about what time you work out and then when you're having your starches. I, I, my workout starts at 5.30 in the morning. Um, so I have my intro. I make a shake in the morning that takes two shaker cups. Um, it's about 100 grams of carbs. Um, well, I should say it's not about. It's exactly 100 grams of carbs. Um, I drink uh, some of it right before I work out. Um, then I have some during and some after. And then I have usually oatmeal or malt oatmeal or something like that for my breakfast, which is usually about an hour after I finish my workout. So I'm just going to stop you real quick so we can kind of walk people through this a little bit so they understand what's going on. 
Chris yep. is a power lifter. His sessions are going to be an hour to hour and a half. And so, yep. you know, what he's talking about is having a little bit of it pre and then some of it intra. Now, if you're something like a CrossFitter, you probably don't necessarily want to have, you know, intra-workout carbohydrates. It sort of depends on how you're working out for that day. But you're going to want to adjust that a little bit. And, and I'll talk a little bit about those adjustments because I work out in the evening. And so I'll talk to you guys about how I do mine. And that'll be an interesting contrast to what, what Chris is talking about. So that I have usually that's a hundred grams of carbs right around my workout with, with the shake. Um, and usually those are what we refer to as faster carbs. So it's, it's usually, um, for me, powdered Gatorade is what I use. Uh, it's basically dextrose. Um, then about an hour or so after I work out, I have my oatmeal, um, which is another 75 grams of carbs is what it works out to. Um, and then I have a couple hours after that, I'll have another meal with starches in it, which will be about 50 grams of carbs. Um, my next meal usually have about 50 and then dinner is usually just meat and veggies now. Um, and it may or may not have a little bit of leftover starch, like a potato or a sweet potato or, you know, something like that. So I wasn't paying acute attention yeah. for your lunch. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about what your carb strategy is for lunch. Usually it'll be about 50 grams of carbs in my lunch. So I, I eat six times a day. Um, my pre-bed meal is always just protein, maybe some fats, um, zero carb there. Um, my dinner I'll, might have some like 25 to 50. My lunch will have 25 to 50. And then my training, my breakfast and my late snack will be 100 grams, 75 grams, 50 grams. And then it's usually about 50 after that. So I'm going to give people, you know, my, it's not going to be as specific as it relates to the grams, but it'll give you guys a good understanding of how I set things up for an evening workout that might be CrossFit, right? And so I'm going to, what I'm going to do is, is, is do what I would normally do, not what I'm doing during performance fat, focus fat loss. So I typically eat, my first meal would be, uh, it's going to be either oatmeal. I don't eat near as much oatmeal. I'm, I'm a smaller person than Chris is. Um, so, you know, in the mornings, I tend to have kind of oatmeal, honey, and peanut butter, usually about 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, and this is going to be a three-meal strategy as opposed to a two-meal strategy. So... Usually I have client calls between 11.30 and 2 p.m. And then after 2 p.m. on a workout where I'm going to be working out at 6 p.m., once again, you know, you can just, you know, you can do it any way that you want, but I'm just going to tell you what, what I might do in that scenario. I'm going to have chipotle, double chicken with um, guacamole. Now, let me tell you why I'm going to do guacamole in that scenario. When we talk about fast carbs and slow carbs, because Chris mentioned it, he talked about having you know, Gatorade. You can also mix your Gatorade with, with dextrose, kind of adds a little bit of flavor. 
Um, I used to do that with Waxy Maze, which was kind of, I liked it. My, my kids did not like it. You know, when they tasted it, um, they thought it tasted too cornstarchy. I liked the texture of that. And so that, that was sort of helpful. We often, um, you know, Chris and I both use a product called Vitargo. Sometimes uh, we actually have our own uh, carbohydrates called Cytofuse, which has you know, protein in it. So there's some things that you can use there. But the reason why I'm going to add guacamole is because my workout isn't going to be till, you know, up to four hours later, but mostly about three hours later. So what I want is kind of a more gradual approach. Now, if I, if I was viewing Chipotle as a meal, as an example there, I would probably have something, you know, closer to triple chicken or something, you know, that's a little bit more substantive. Double chicken is not super substantive for me, so I'll throw in the guacamole. So it just sort of loads over time and I'm ready for my workout. Won't really have a lot of pre-workout at that point. And and the other thing too that I'm trying to kind of differentiate is to show you guys what maybe a whole food approach might look like and just to give you kind of like the two ways that you could look at it. I wouldn't say that either one is better. I would just say that one maybe fits some people and the others, you know, might not, right? So I then work out at 6 p.m. I will leave that workout and I'll probably have something like a small six ounce sirloin steak with a little bit of mashed potatoes and a salad, um, probably a little something for dessert, and that's it. You know, that's gonna roughly add up to, you know, about 3,000 calories, and sort of like you can play with that, you know, depending on what you are, you know, like if you're a, a female, you're 5'2", maybe, maybe double chicken and guacamole isn't your jam, maybe single chicken and guacamole might, might work. Um, I know when I am cutting, I do tend to be a little bit more reliant on supplements. Um, I did end up getting some BCAAs just because there's really no net negative. The good majority of the time, I actually opt for whey protein over BCAAs. Whey protein, of course, has calories, BCAAs, not very many. And so it's just another layer of, of protection and once again, you know, it's still something that is going to add some layer of water retention because you're going to drink your BCAAs with water. But remember, the goal is to keep your muscles hydrated even in a cut so you retain lean mass over time. And that's, that's different, right? That's very different. In a, in a low-carb approach or extreme calorie, low-calorie approach, you know, everyone knows that you first lose that water weight, you know, and what Chris and I are saying is, is you want to keep that water weight to a certain extent because it's going to allow you to work out better. And it's going to allow you to keep some level of volume that ends up netting in lean mass over time. And so um, in, in, terms of, in terms of dessert, you know, I don't know why, but the other day I was, I, I was struggling having dessert, you know, dark chocolate macadamia nuts is something that, that I'll, I'll often have, you know, something like 200 calories. It sort of depends, 
you know, I don't always, you know, I mean, if like, if it's like a 25 to 30 minute session, sometimes I don't feel super hungry. So I don't feel like a steak and salad and, you know, all that other type of stuff. And so, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of times I just cut out the salad, um, you know, to be, be truthful with you guys. Um, but, you, you know, you can sort of play with that a little bit. I mean, I would try to have like some food if you feel like, you know, man, I'm really not super hungry there. Make sure to have at least, you know, some protein just to kind of, you know, so you have available amino acids to, um, you know, kind of, you know, fill that void and then some level of carbohydrates. And then if you wake up the next morning, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so hungry. Well, eat, you know, you can you can kind of adjust it that way, too. So I hope that's helpful for people because that is a big question, you know, in terms of, you know, how you would deal with something like a morning workout, you know, typically for a morning workout, or I'm sorry, not, not a morning workout, but like a noon workout, typically what you're going to do it sort of depends on the size of who you are as an athlete, you know. If you look at the the Chipotle scenario where I'm eating at, at like roughly 2 to 3 p.m., I would probably, if I'm working out at noon, I'm probably having the, a similar type meal at about 9 a.m., but usually pretty smaller because I would have had a decent-sized meal for dinner, right? And so the thing that you don't want to do is kind of have this big kind of bloating type thing going on going into a workout. So kind of keep that in mind. Anything that you want to add before we, we shut it down, Chris? No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of covered that, you know, and I, I think, I think the big thing that when you're talking about, you know, you know, there's a lot of hurdles that come up, but but you can definitely think about it in terms of being sick is do what you can. Right. Yep. And and don't necessarily, you know, think that you're you're always digging a huge hole because you might not be. You know, your body might just need to kind of recover a bit. And I think that's a little bit of what, you know, if you're constantly when when I was first started getting fit, I was constantly sick. And I was kind of say a little sore, you know, that's kind of a sign that you might be overdoing it a bit much for your athletic ability. So you want to sort of listen to some of those signals. It's kind of hard because at the same time, you want to push it. You know, you want you want to kind of keep pushing, you know, your athletic abilities. But what you find over time is that the more you can listen to those signals, the better result that you'll ultimately get because you're not always sick and you're not always trying to, you know, dig out of these holes. I have to say, even as I'm saying this, you know, I am fit. I've been doing this for roughly 10 years now, coming from basically an unfit background. This winter has been shit for me. It's been horrible. It sucks mentally, but like I said, talking about that Nate Diaz thing, you know what? You're just taking punches to the face. You're feeling that blood in your mouth. And that that's the thing, you know, some people quit there. Some people keep going, you know. And I would encourage people 
that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to get that shot where you're going to get a PR or you're going to you know, see sort of the results that you're looking for. But you never do quitting. You never do when you just leave. Now, you might have to change things to your process, and that's a little bit of what we're talking about. But, you know, at the end of the day, staying in the game is a big part of the answer for almost everyone. All right, guys, I appreciate everybody being here. And uh, Kent, great question. I appreciate appreciate that. And I always, you know, I wish we'd get more questions, but, you know, we don't have a lot of people. Most, You know, most of the people that, that show up for these, they tend to kind of listen. And I think they like the, the fact that, you know, they can see, you know, Chris and I. And unfortunately, in the podcast, you guys can't see us. So appreciate everybody being here, and we'll talk to you later. Enjoy your weekend, Chris. You too. Have a good weekend. All righty.